Backed empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Backed to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to backedbakkt.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we continue our rabbit hole journey into the NFT world. We're very pleased to have on the other side of the mic, Noah Davis, an Associate Vice President and Head of Digital Sales at Christie's Auction House. But as you were saying before we began recording, you're just a specialist, a specialist on all things NFTs. We're very excited. A bit of background on Noah. He is a post-war and contemporary art specialist as well. And he recently supervised the gangbuster, nearly $70 million sale, Beeple sale. Noah, thank you for joining The Scoop. We're very excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Frank. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here, truly. Yeah, no, we've got a lot to unpack and a lot to talk about. I'll try to bring the energy. I'm still reeling a bit from last week at Mainnet. So glad we have an energetic guest on the other side of the mic. Let's sort of paint the, let's paint a picture of the history, no pun intended. How did Christie's get into the NFT game? I assume you played a big part in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just, honestly, I was just in the right place at the right time. I, I've been at Christie's for something like six or seven years in that region. And the last three or four of those years, I was the head of our online sales in New York in the contemporary department. So that that sale is called First Open. And I grew First Open from kind of a little bit of a backwater or garage sale or salon de refuse to a reliably somewhat profitable venue uh, where we got pretty big ticket cool items. And I was pretty proud of that. The pandemic was weird for everybody at Christie's. We were doing everything remotely. And I think that sort of galvanized us to take more risks. We necessarily had to do things differently. And as the head of the online sale, I was just the guy who would review the the Beeple opportunity. So that came to us via Maker's Place. They were speaking to my really brilliant, lovely colleague, Megan, who honestly, if she hadn't been sage enough to recognize that this was something worth our time, then I wouldn't have even capitalized on it. But basically I was in the office and Megan said to me, do you want to sell an NFT in uh, January of, of 2021? And I thought about it for a second and I was like, yeah, sure. And that, that was it. And then we met people and then, you know, the rest is history or whatever they say. It's the rest is art history. So tell me when Megan, your lovely colleague first came to you with this opportunity, how engrossed had you been with the NFT space or the art collectible 
world, I assume very much so, or not so no, much so? No, not at all. Hardly, not at all. At all. I really, all I really knew was that somebody named Beeple had sold a bunch of NFTs for a lot of money at Nifty Gateway. That was really the only headline that had made its way to me. But, you know, I think people who are working in contemporary art, especially online sales for contemporary art, who had their ear to the ground around that time was hearing a lot of rumbling about NFTs. So I vaguely knew what NFTs were, and I knew that some of them were very valuable. And that was basically it. I wasn't on Discord. I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't join Twitter. I was very reluctant to do so because, I mean... It's kind of a scary, weird place. No kidding. Yeah. And well, I, it, especially for me, because the beginning of my crypto career, my NFT career, the only engagement I had with Twitter was when I, I got dragged on there to, to get flayed, basically, you know, or get flamed for, for some decision we'd made or some mistake or... So I, I had this negative association with it in my head, but um, but now that I, I'm completely completely immersed, and I'm really glad that I took that plunge. So did you need to get buy-in from across the firm? As you mentioned, um, we're talking about a 200 250 year old institution. Dean, our producer, pulled a very interesting quote from a Sotheby's executive who raised the question of why would anyone pay 69 million dollars for a JPEG. Was there a sentiment within within Christie's, and, and you're welcome for the uh, competitor uh, shade there, was there a similar sentiment within your organization or, or were you able to just hit the ground running? I will say it was surprisingly easy, especially given how previously, you know, averse to risk and change I've known Christie's to be, the, the pandemic changed everything for everybody in so many different ways. And there were obviously a lot more negative ways in which the, the pandemic affected us all. But I think if there is a silver lining to all of this, it is that we were more likely to take risks when it makes sense. And for that reason, I think we, we had this kind of psychology at that moment in time, whereby when I, when I came to the executives and said, hey, I want to sell an NFT and I want to take crypto for payment, what do you think? The response was basically, sure, yeah, go for it. Really? So no one needed a... a nft 101 not really it was just like just just do it you know uh, the risks really were outweighed by the possible reward and, and we only we thought maybe this would make a million bucks when we brought it mm. yeah, we had no idea that it was going to go 70x that so i think we we did a lot of retroactive question asking <laughs> kind of learning as you're sort of steering the ship well, or building the, the plane while you're flying it. More yeah, like it. probably a better metaphor. Um, so I was watching an interview you did with CNBC post the Beeple auction, and you talked about how it kind of brought in a whole new pool of investors or collectors, if you will. Have they sort of stuck around? Are you now, do you now find yourself dealing with a whole new population of, of folks? Yeah, they, they have. And it seems like, as we branch out into new projects and new NFTs and new artists, we get that many more people, more new people. I just registered a couple of new, extremely important, like pivotal, you could say whales who were previously unknown to us over the weekend because we're selling these NFTs in Hong Kong. We've never sold MeBits or Bored Apes before. These were our first offerings. So a lot of those clients are brand new. Also the fact that we're selling in, in Asia, I've seen a lot more bidding from Asia and that sale than we've ever seen before for NFTs. So it's uh, not only have we you know, seen these guys come back, but we've seen a lot more people reliably and consistently entering the space too. And are they just coming back for more NFTs or 
Are you finding that they're looking at other opportunities? It's really interesting. It's, it's mostly NFTs, but there have been some very notable and serious examples of crypto native or NFT collectors, exclusively NFT collectors moving into physical art as well. Like Justin Sun promoted his, his purchase of the Warhols and uh, Picasso in our London evening sale right after missing out on Beeple. And that was his first big IRL based art purchase. And we've seen that with a couple of others too, where it's, it hasn't been public, but you know, bidders in the CryptoPunk sale then turned around the next day and bid in the day sale and had never been with us before. So really interesting to see that dynamic at play. I think actually we've probably seen more engagement from the crypto world moving into the IRL based art world than the contemporary art world moving into the NFT space. So let's talk about the prices of these pieces of art. How comparable are they to, as you say, IRL pieces of art or the analog art world? And is the determination of what fair price is the same or is it? So, uh, I mean, I just think they're so different. Ultimately, it's not fair to compare the NFT space to the traditional blue chip art world. The reason I say that is because I really think that the NFT space has some significant structural advantages over the IRL based art world in its decentralization and in its crypto native nature. So this marketplace, the NFT marketplace moves at the speed of your thumbs on a keyboard, right? The art world moves at the speed of your shippers or the auction house schedule. So what takes six months to a year to play out in Mm. the traditional blue chip art world, that can happen over the course of a day or two, if that in the NFT space. And that's because it's very frictionless. You know, there's there's wrapped Ethereum. There's uh, the, the fact that the art doesn't exist, quote unquote. You don't need to ship it across the world to sell it to somebody. It can be transferred on the blockchain pretty much magically. So yeah, there are certain assets that rival some of the, the most expensive artist works out there. Beeple is the, the third highest price realized by a living artist at auction. So it's very much on the same playing field. They're playing the game, the same game with a lot different uh, equipment. But do you see sort of the... I don't know if intrinsic value is the right word, but the same characteristics that make something valuable being the same, whether it's rarity, aesthetic value, the the person behind the art. Like if Beeple was just, was a jerk or something, I, I know you're friends with him. He's a very nice guy, but if you didn't have this sort of cult of personality around him, or if it just looked worse, which is a hard thing to quantify, but yeah, that's that's almost like a chicken and the egg kind of question. I think that in some ways, yes, it overlaps exactly. In other ways, it it doesn't. But mm. aesthetics are just they're judged by a different kind of measuring stick, right? Like the, the fine mm. art world really wants this cerebral, intellectual quality to it. Whereas I think in the NFT space, you see a lot of people gravitating more towards virtual eye candy or or like digital junk food, and that's awesome. By the way, I think that's totally fine. I think that the art world. There's this David Hammond's quote about how the art audience is the worst audience in the world because they're overeducated and conservative and they never, uh, you know, have any fun. They take themselves too seriously. And I tend to agree with that assessment. And so for that reason, I am very much excited about um, the way that NFTs are changing how people think about what makes art, quote unquote, valuable. How do you think it will change that moving forward for the IRL 
art pieces? I have no idea. I, I'm going to be just weirder, I, kitschier. Well, people. So th this is the thing. A lot of people expect me to have some kind of prediction about the future because of where I'm seated. And I would be happy to disabuse you all of that notion. I have no crystal ball here. The best thing I have is the closest thing I have to a crystal ball is like a snow globe. Like I can shake things up based on the information available, but I can't really tell you what this space is going to look like any further than the, the sales that I have lined up for the next four or five months, you know? And the reason for that is because the people who are driving this space uh, are really energized and galvanized. And for them, the art doesn't exist, the money doesn't exist, and the future is now. So how can you predict what the future is if, if you already think the future is happening or if you're making the future happen? If you have that deep conviction, you're not really thinking about six years from now, you're thinking about six minutes from now. So walk us through that pipeline that you just described. Has it slowed by any measures or do you continue to sort of see interest and in, in where is it coming from? It's incredible. It's incredible that it, that it continues to gather speed and that, that interest continues to pour in from new corners of the world, but also new corners of the art market too. Like that traditional mar art market that I talked about, they're starting to line up on the sidelines, if not dive in. You'll notice, I think Adam Lindemann recently changed his profile picture on Instagram to one of his punks that he picked up. Um, wow. If you follow the NFTs that we sold in the Warhol sale, some of those wallets are old world's blue chip whales. So I, I'm also aware of another you know, important collector who recently hired some people to, to their team to focus on their NFT acquisitions, but they haven't, to my knowledge, made like any very public or doxed their NFT acquisitions so far. I do think that this is really exploding still. And I get I get tens of emails a day from people from various different industries, you know, various different IP holders and various different contemporary art collections too, just checking in and trying to learn more about it. I, I was on the floor of the exhibition for the art blocks and curio cards that were selling on Friday over the weekend. And on the first day, I helped three people install MetaMask on their phones, one, one of whom was a really old guy in a wheelchair. You know, on Sunday, I helped two people install MetaMask. So it's wild. It's totally wild. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, when someone wants to participate in an auction of an NFT, do they need to be anonymous? I mean, or rather, do they need to sort of register in some capacity that reveals their identity because yeah you got it you, if you want to bid at Christie's, you got a kyc and there's just no way around that sorry y'all uh it's required <laughs> so kyc is a thing here and uh we take aml protocols really seriously too so there's only certain exchanges from which we can accept crypto payments but we we try to be as above board as possible while also making the actual transaction as seamless as possible but it's a, a needle that we're still learning how to thread sure and it's not the easiest needle to work with. So how would you illustrate the size of this category of the business relative to some of the other ones? I mean, you have a $69 million auction that's got to bring it up, play a role in juicing the numbers for your component of the business. Yep. It's, uh, I mean, after tonight, we will crack $100 million in, in total sale volume on the, on the calendar year, which is staggering. That's just totally absurd. Um, how much is that out of? I don't know. I, I've been focusing only on NFTs. Like I don't, I don't even know what we're selling in the the rest of the the sale on Friday in the post order present contemporary art sale. Like I barely walk through all of the galleries because my job is just so incredibly intense. And there's that much to follow along with and to promote and to market. And I'm kind of a like one man operation here. So I I don't really I don't really know. So one thing that I've been like 
talking about with folks on the show that are from the NFT world is the kind of combination betwixt the twain, right? How do they interact? And one question that I have here is, is there a potentiality? And I know you uh, don't have your crystal ball in front of you, but I'm sure you have some sort of thesis on this. Can blockchain verification or proof of ownership play a role in any sort of art piece? I mean, can you have a Warhol that then is backed or tied to some sort of wallet or address? And that way you you have the physical element and then the tokenized or blockchain-based element. Yep. There are a lot of really good uh, uh, operations looking into this and trying to, to, to crack that code. You know, uh, I think Artery is, is a famous one. We worked with Artery in 2018, actually, when we were selling Barney Ebsworth's collection. And we offered that. We offered exactly that to the, the buyers. Every buyer from that sale got a token that contained all of the pertinent information related to the artwork from, from the collection, from the Ebsworth collection. But that was way ahead of the curve, right? 2018 was just probably too soon for that kind of stuff. I know that they're still out there and doing their thing. But if I was a, a betting man before this year, I would have told you that that's the way we would use crypto and, and blockchain in the art world it, it, as more of a utility rather than a collectible in and of itself. Uh, because my first really big light bulb moment too uh, was when I was researching CryptoPunks and I could see in real time on the, the Larva Lab site, the offers coming in and the wallets from which those offers were coming and also being able to trace the ownership and, and the kind of uh, story of each one of these punks back to its inception. If a site like that existed for Andy Warhol or, or Pablo Picasso, like a Larva Labs CryptoPunks compendium of uh, marketplace information that's updating in media res, it would be revolutionary for the business. And the people who would benefit mostly are the, the good folks, so the, the sellers and the buyers, you know? And that's a really funny statement coming from me as somebody from within Christie's. But like, I think that there's still, even in a decentralized world, a service we can provide vis-a-vis -vis the, the promotion and the marketing and the fanfare. There's always going to be a need for somebody to create the ritual around the transaction. But the radical transparency of that information is so crucial. I mean, it would that would solve for authenticity testing, keeping track of exhibition history, literature references title disputes, restoration, you name it, you can have it recorded on the blockchain, as well as what I just mentioned, as far as like financials are concerned, and, and deals are concerned, it just is, it's such a better, more democratic way to do business. And is this a way of doing business that Christie's has explored itself? I can only speak for myself, I'm pushing for it. I hope that one day decentralization is the, the norm, that that is just sort of the way everybody conducts business. Uh, but who knows? We're still early, as they say. Mm -hmm. So are there any parameters, like are there any aspects of NFTs that you won't touch or that are too nascent or is it kind of everything is fair game? Well, I think uh, the company, what we do is if, if something is very valuable, if somebody is willing to pay a, a premium for it and, and we have multiple people who are willing to pay a premium for it and it's not Nazi memorabilia or something terrible, then we'll probably sell it. Or if it's like stolen or something like that. But with NFTs, I think certainly I would love to sell anything. But there was a there was a lot of backlash after Beeple even, you know, when it was discovered some of this early work, the 4chan tier Edgelord stuff that Mike did when he was first starting out, um, that people really did not respond well to, especially from the, the fine art world. So I don't have much desire to to create 
controversy and to to be dragged in front of the equity diversity and inclusion committee again so for that reason i'm probably going to shy away from a you know like a really rare spicy rare pepe fair enough and that'll keep folks in the upper echelons happy so i guess to put a finer point on like the scope of Christie's NFT operations. Is there, is there any sense you have of what percentage of art being sold at the firm are, are NFTs? That's It's funny you ask. I think somebody from Reuters was asking for us to answer that question definitively today. And I, I have no clue because I've just been so focused on, on being the, the boots on the ground and the tip of the spear, as it were. I have no clue. I just am trying to do as, as good a job as I can. What does the What does the ground look like right now? I think anyone looking in, like when we think about people, like it captured the attention of everyone. Yeah. I mean, it was the zeitgeist of the crypto market. It was at the forefront of everything. I mean, I got my, um, I get my local newspaper delivered here out in Florida. I live in Sarasota and it's a huge art community here, mm. a lot of money. And it was on the front page of, of the local paper here. Yeah. Um, not, not only that, but obviously on the front page of the journal and the New York Times, or at least their business sections. Mm. So that was a few months ago. What happens if the fervor, um, you know, doesn't continue? Or are you going to, you know, be in a bit, you're going to have to go back to the traditional contemporary stuff? I don't think that's an option for me. I really don't. Now that I'm in this, I, I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to get out of it. And I don't really have any desire to get out of it because I've been having so much fun. And I also just see so much utopian potential. I really mean that. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic about that. I, I do see a lot of utopian potential in blockchain and crypto and decentralization. So yeah, I, I think even if there is a contraction or a bear market or you know a crash, a global financial crisis or something like that, I think that- But don't, are... yeah, that's a, see, that's a really good point. I feel like if there was some sort of correction in the broader market, don't NFTs represent like the most frothy element of- Yeah, it's, it's like when, you know how ETH, ETH moons, ETH goes way up and then the NFT market dies. And that's a really interesting dynamic, right? When ETH is, is retracing or, or, or when it's kind of on a pullback, that's when you see a lot more activity in the, in the NFT space. So it's this weird kind of symbiotic relationship yeah, they have. That's really interesting. I was talking about this with someone on our team about how it is super uncorrelated to the rest of the market. Yeah. Well, the reason for that, I mean, at least vis-a-vis -vis crypto, I think it's because people want more ETH exposure. You know, people want to sell the, the NFT when ETH is going up because they want to get that Ethereum out of the NFT. They want it out and, and gaining in value so that they, then they can plug it back into more NFTs. But a lot of people will panic sell their NFTs when ETH is mooning. And then, you know, they, they collect when ETH is, is kind of in a lull or a dipping. And it has kind of been relatively the past few months stuck in the doldrums. Yeah, but if you're, I mean, if you're, if you're smart about it, if you're careful about it, you can play both of these, these markets, you know, in the same kind of way, using the same sort of strategies, but deploying them depending on the, the market conditions. Like when ETH is up, you do one thing with NFTs. When ETH is down, you do another. Yeah. I got to write a, I got to write a story on that. I got to talk to like, I wonder how like traders are kind of like bouncing between these two worlds. Yeah. You can see it. You can see it in real time. Like yeah, on OpenSea. I, I love the name OpenSea for OpenSea because I spent a lot of time looking at those volume traded charts and they look like waves, but there is a, a really interesting correlation between the price of Ethereum and crypto generally and, and the volume traded of NFTs and, and at what level versus the floor. So 
it's fascinating. You know, a lot of people say one ETH equals one ETH, and that's very true, but one ETH is also changing all the time. So depending on what one ETH is, it affects these marketplaces and especially the NFT marketplace. Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. Before the show started, I asked my colleagues on the research team if they had any questions. I, and they're starting to pour in. But um, the first question was, who got them into NFTs? We answered that at the beginning of the show. Megan, this mysterious yeah. Megan. Megan Doyle. She's great. Cat Love Megan. Catalyzed was the catalyst for all of it. But who, where, so where did it come from before that, though? What was the connection between Megan and whomever? Oh, Maker's Place. Issue? I think Maker's Place. Maker's Place contacted, right. Yeah, Maker's Place just contacted Christie's and they they introduced us to people and we all collaborated on the, the consignment together. But you know, Megan was the one who brought the opportunity to me. So thank God for Megan. <laughs> Indeed. So when you think about what's to come, like there are, you know, you can't predict when interest will sort of fizzle out or when it will surge during those peak times. I'm sure it's insanely uh, stressful for you. How do you, you know, as an auction house yourself, separate the wheat from the shaft, so to speak, and and pick big winners like, Beepled. Uh, do you have to, I guess in a sense you're, you, you'd have to sort of do your own sort of analysis and what people might find valuable. Yeah, totally. I, I think the way that I do it is just by completely immersing myself in the space as much as possible. Like I'm, I'm active in something like five to 10 discords. Some of them are public and some of them are private and I'm uh, active on Twitter as well. And I think looking at the floor prices and the all-time highs and and checking in on a daily basis to see what's happening in the marketplace is, is kind of how we make our decisions. But there's also this opportunity, I think, now to really promote artists, you know, who are making, for example, one of one works, who might not have a, a project behind them to kind of buttress, you know, that presentation to to give to point at it and say, hey, look, one of these mm. just sold for three million bucks. There's going to be a, a brilliant artist who will make something that hasn't sold anything for that price before, but it's worth that. And I'm excited about the opportunity to promote those things too. So in short order, 
I think in the evening sale, especially in, in November, we haven't made the announcement yet, but soon there's going to be something cool in the evening sale, one of one that I'm excited about that kind of fits that bill where it's a little bit of a surprise. Is it rocks? No. <laughs> have you guys, have you guys done any rocks? No comment. We can talk about no. but right now. What all I want to talk about in terms of like NFTs we're selling, uh, we've got the ones in Hong Kong, which close tonight. So we got a zombie. Mm -hmm. We've got five attribute punks. We got some me bits. We got some apes. And then at the end of the week in New York on Friday, big deal. We're selling a full, set of curio cards all 30 plus the misprint 17b that's the first art project on ethereum and uh we will also sell full sets of series one two and three for art blocks curated from barcella's collection uh shout out barcella and uh that auction on friday friday morning 9 30 a.m in new york the auctioneer live bidding will take bids in ethereum that's never been done before anywhere so I'm really focused on the success of, of Hong Kong tonight, making sure that we show up those bids there and everybody who wants to bid is being taken care of. And then on Friday, making sure that that Curio and Blocks uh, are massively successful. That's all I'm really thinking about. Um, there will be an announcement tomorrow about the NFTs in our London evening sale. And then next week, there will be more announcements about what we're doing in New York in November. I have been extraordinarily busy, but uh, one thing at a time. One thing at a time. Yeah. So you sound like you're having a lot of fun, What? but surely there's been some challenges or weird things to iron out. What, what has that journey looked like in terms of some of the more complicated aspects of this market? Man, I mean, it has been a journey, right? And it's been a trial by fire too. I think probably the most obvious and public kind of dispute we had was after the, the CryptoPunk sale in, in May that had to do with the way we presented the punks in the exhibition, which was fully, that was totally my idea, totally take ownership of it. We we put the punks on these little tiles that were hidden throughout the building, like Easter eggs, um, mm. because that was strategic and also was meant to be sort of a winking nod to Invader and the idea that these things were encroaching on the evening sale at Christie's. But also it's it's a really political thing. It's hard for me to justify pushing a Picasso out of the way so I can put these JPEGs on the wall. That was a, that was a fight that I was not going to win. So I think, you know, G Money took to Twitter to write a very long thread about how we quote unquote fucked up the auction. And that was really not very fun, but I actually got to engage with G Money and, and wrote a thoughtful apology, which he retweeted. And now we're, we're friends. Like I was on his podcast last week and we did a panel last week. So it's not insurmountable, the odds, even when it gets hairy and hectic. And honestly, I, I welcome the, the negative feedback just as much as the positive. Um, we're trying to iterate here and we're not going to do everything perfectly. I remember even when in the bidding for, for Beeple, when credit were reaching out to people, you know, new clients, because we had 50 bidders almost on, on Beeple and 20 of those bidders were bidding above a million bucks. But only three, what's the normal? What's the normal amount of bidders? A lot less for one lot. Yeah. Like even a hot lot will have like five to ten people on it at that price mm. point. Especially we had twenty above a million on people, almost fifty overall. And the craziest thing is only three of those people were previously known to us. So we needed to find a way to clear these people for for bidding. And a lot of them are trying to pay us in crypto. They want to pay us in crypto. It's the first time. It's our first time ever accepting crypto for payment. So I remember seeing emails from credit asking for letters from Coinbase or letters from Gemini to like on formal Coinbase and Gemini letterhead confirming the balance in these people's accounts. And it's like that at the time seemed like a logical thing for credit to ask for. And only I and like the, the clients realized that that was impossible. Like you, you might get yeah. that letter in like a month. 
not in totally. not 24 hours. So Especially if you're dealing with Coinbase and Gemini. Yeah, like, what, they don't have somebody, they don't have like a client service department. It's absurd. So yeah, getting used to this, adjusting to this, also engaging with the community too and budgeting that kind of time is is new. Because I, I can't tell you, there was never a point in time where like decooning fans would come together to help advertise the big decooning in the evening sale. But for punks, we had Save Art Space approach us. And that was how I met the really brilliant and beautiful human who is Justin Aversano. Uh, but they helped us make an ad campaign where the, the punks were invading New York City. They were even in Times Square. And we couldn't have done that without Justin. And that kind of engagement from the community, that connection um, and that investment that, that we all communally have in this movement and in the success of these things, that's super inspiring and also is part of the reason why I'm so bullish on the on the space long term. You mentioned some of the platforms operating in the space like OpenSea and some of these other NFT platforms. Is there a sort of way in which or a future where these platforms could be competing with a Christie's? Sure. I, I, I think they're already competing with us major that in a major, major way. Um, but I'm really not interested ultimately in the competition at the end of the day. I'm mostly focused on just making sure that my consigners and my buyers and my bidders are happy and that I do right by the space. Like I think that we are being really, really careful about what we put out there now and how we put it out there. So Sure, it could happen. We could also join forces. Who knows? There's no, there's no telling. This is another one of those, those crystal ball questions. But I think that mm -hmm. the big problem for everybody going forward is going to be scalability and perfecting the, the user experience and making it seamless and also integrating with the, the decentralized way that, that blockchain works. So if Christie's wants to stick around, I'm, I'm telling them every day that it's so important for us to get provably on chain, you know, really on chain, hold these auctions on chain and figure out all of the the, the gray areas and in, in mm. the, the legal part of the, the business, you know, as far as DAOs are concerned and all these other new and amazing financial instruments that are out there thanks to DeFi. So it's, uh, it's baby steps, right? We're, it's baby steps, but also baby leaps. <laughs> um, so that's, that's where we're at right now. When Christie's token, I guess. <laughs> you know what's funny? We have a smart contract and we deployed it on testnet and uh, we were going to do like a little, you know, kind of cliche, like punks-esque pixelized Christie's logo token drop, not like a rare token. It wouldn't have been like a cryptocurrency or a, you know, security, but, uh, but we can't do it. We can't, we can't ever uh, distribute them because our lawyers think that the liability of uh, somebody minting an NFT because it's undefinable and like gray, we're not going to do that. Their concern, I think, is what if IPFS no longer works? What if the server goes down? What if yeah. the token is broken? And I have to explain constantly, like, well, in that case, you're going to be in a post-apocalyptic landscape looking for <laughs> so, a bit of a you know red herring, but it is what it is. So I, I'm just trying to move as methodically and gently as I can while also keeping up with the space, which, again, talk about delicate dance or weird needle to thread. I hope none of your lawyers are going to be listening to this episode. Dude, this is nothing compared to what I've said before. I love my lawyers. Shout out Reed, Jason, <laughs> Maggie. All you guys are great. And Nicole, too, in compliance. <laughs> we should, They're we doing should... their best. And that's, look. No, I'm sure they are. That's literally all I can ask of people is that they do their best in this. Like, I'm doing all this stuff for the first time, too, and failing and and succeeding as well. And, and I recognize that that's part of the process. I just want to see movement. I just want to see engagement and, uh, and passion. And I think that I do see that. And that's why I'm still here. Well, it, it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know if it's the perfect question for you, but it's one that we've been thinking about, which is 
clearly there are differences between analog art and NFTs, but legally, I wonder what the similarities and differences are. Are they the same from a legal perspective? No idea. Not a lawyer. Yeah, no who knows? expertise. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's been anybody's guess. Yeah, it's been it's been wild and weird, and it, that's because this is a wild and weird place. We are in the wild west of the digital age with the onset of or, or the advent of Web three. So who knows, man? Who knows? Do you think like obviously we've had digital art for a while, and I think even when I was first getting interested in this space, I I, I kind of fell into the camp of well the copy and paste camp or the we've always had digital art, but do you think there's something about an NFT that makes it makes a piece of digital art more valuable or more interesting? Yeah, infinitely so. In, infinitely yeah. so, infinitely so. And it's doing the same thing for photography too, which is really interesting, right? And I wouldn't have predicted that would happen, but I have a new thesis on why this is the case. Basically what, what NFTs do, or one of the many awesome things that they do is they give currency to art that is ephemeral. You know, they give a value to something that that previously you could. That's the thing. When I hear people say the whole right click save argument, like that was true. That used to be true, but you're you're misunderstanding the the utility of a non fungible token. Non fungible token makes that irrelevant. You know, that means that it can only exist in one place at one time on the blockchain. So you might be able to copy the the picture that's that's referenced in the the hash, but you're not going to be able to copy the token and. For that reason, I think it, it makes digital art infinitely more valuable uh, because it, it establishes the scarcity of the asset and it's it's you know provable where it is in space and time. But it does the same thing for photography too, because photography is in this weird, it's in its own kind of post-apocalyptic landscape, thanks to the 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 digital nature of of how photography works nowadays. There used to be the dark room, right? The dark room mm. gave a very romantic kind of tenor to photography as a practice. You know, every print you can imagine the artist was was in the dark room, you know, developing it and taking care of it. It's a methodical kind of magical process. But now it's just kind of point and shoot and it loses a lot of that nuance and magic. But NFT brings it back. And that's why I see a lot more room for NFT to reinvigorate and explode the photography space. And you've seen a lot of success um, from people like Justin Aversano and Drifter Shoots. And uh, Mr. Cartagena, like the, it's it's a lot of potential there for that space to be improved, and and for mm. those and for those assets to just have a lot more value too. So, do you think every piece of photography should be minted? Or another way of asking the question is, when should something? When should a piece of art be minted, and when shouldn't it be? That's an awesome question. And I kind of have an answer for it. It's, it's always going to be a work in progress, the answer to that question. But basically, my advice is if you can sell something without involving NFT, do that. The only NFT that, that needs to exist has to exist. It does something really, really vital. And in the case of photography, I think any digital photographer, yeah, you should be minting those as NFTs. There's absolutely no reason to print them out and sell them as, as addition to prints. Young people don't want stuff. And the, the further you can get away from stuff in the 21st century, the better. I don't know a single young person who wants to buy a Picasso painting that they're going to have to care about for the rest of their life. They're going to have to worry about when they go on vacation. They're going to have to restore it. They're going to have to insure it. Like All these things are, are, are scary and annoying and, and, and have a lot of friction. 
But with NFTs, it's kind of like they just are there. They exist in your mind's eye. You know they're there. You don't have to worry about them. When we were KYCing uh, um, uh, Metacoven for the, the Beeple purchase, we asked for a proof of address and he didn't have an address. Mm. And that's not, that's weird for like the traditional art world, but for young people, that's not weird at all. I think a lot of people aspire to have less stuff um, because then you're tied to less stuff. Like nobody likes to be tied to things. So yeah, I do think that for, for certain artists, NFT is obviously the way to go. Painters, they don't need to make NFTs unless there's some sort of highly conceptual project that they're working on that's related to their painting practice. But creating a NFT that just points back to a painting, I think is just such a dumb dead end. It's superfluous or? Well, I, I mean, I just, I fielded a lot of these calls where the, it's the, the equation is kind of like, I have Goya, I have a Francisco Goya, therefore NFT, and I can sell the NFT without selling the Goya, and then I can have my cake and eat it too, but that alchemy doesn't work. Like the, the NFT and the asset are two completely different things, and that bridge that you're trying to create to siphon off the value from one, that magic, to the other, you're, you're going to fail. And that's, that's, a, that's kind of a general rule of thumb as far as I'm concerned for the metaverse. If you try to recreate IRL experience, one-to-one -one correspondence in the metaverse, it's not going to be the same. So don't do it. Do something different. Do something that is unprecedented and that you couldn't do in real life. That's what I think is really the, the kind of exciting thing about this whole moment and moving forward is this is not a retroactive, like we're gonna make an NFT out of everything that came before. We're gonna make new NFTs that we never really knew we needed or wanted. Mm. And that's that's really where the, the potential is. Have you guys done anything in the metaverse? Not yet, because we're trying to be not really careful about what we do and when we do it. I think that we we could have, you know, we could have made a one-to-one -one replica of our physical galleries and hung our, our NFTs up in there and, you know, just walked away from it and, mm. and had it become a kind of wasteland in the metaverse. That's not mm. what I want to do. I, I will, when When we do it, it'll be there'll be a reason to go there. There'll be some kind of event. There'll be some kind of experience waiting for you. Um, mm. And also we want to do it when more people are using the metaverse too. Because right now, most of them are kind of like ghost towns, even Decentraland, even the most popular metaverse. So I'm, I'm waiting to see how that space develops um, before we dive in. But definitely I think that the metaverse is, is going to be a hugely important thing uh, in the next five years. That's the only crystal ball prediction I'll make. Metaverse is gonna be a big deal. What do you think? Well, I just think it, it makes sense to young people. I think young people to a certain degree enjoy living virtually more than they do living in the real world, in the meat space. There's so many things that you can do online that you can't do in real life. And, and part of this has been accelerated again by the, the pandemic. And mm. I, I think specifically back to people flocking to like Animal Crossing New Horizons in the beginning of the, the pandemic and becoming so incredibly attached to these avatars and this virtual world and this parasocial or, or kind of uh, quasi-social world, that was really fascinating. And and there's no reason to be dystopian about it or, or cynical about it and say like, oh, you're losing something by yeah. removing the, the live well, experience. You're gaining something too. Well, I mean, like with each advent of a new technology you do you do lose something i mean when they when the telephone was invented you know people thought that meant we you know speak in person less and then <laughs> similar iterations of that with television and social media and 
with each one, yes, you know, you're losing some things or things are changing. It's not so much you're losing something, but yeah, just the way you exist changes slightly or, or to a great Paradigms effect. are shifting. But I think, I think that the real true metaverse has not been built yet. And when it does get built, it's going to be crowdsourced, basically. I look at the success of Loot Project and, and how that organically just exploded um, around basically a prompt, right? Loot is just a prompt. It's just words on a black background describing the inventory of an RPG game. And within 72 hours, this community had basically created the, the entire video game or universe around those prompts. So I think that the paradigm for the metaverse is no longer if you build it, they will come. If you invite mm. them, they will build it. That's how I think. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this just flew by, Noah. <laughs> this was this was awesome. I mean, look, we're already at the uh, five minutes from the end of the end of the hour. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We've been trying to flag you guys down, talk to you, unpack what you guys have going on behind the curtain. Thank you so much for stopping by the show to chat with us today. I think it's going to be hugely valuable for the listener. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. My pleasure. Yeah, of course. Once again, we've been joined by Noah Davis, specialist yep. at Christie's Auction House. Noah, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're doing? I know you're a newbie to Twitter. Yeah. Let's let's give them that handle and have them follow you. Yeah, that's that's the best place to find me. I am at non-fungible Noah on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's corny. That's a good handle. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. The Scoop will be back with you and another great guest. Have a great day, everybody.